When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to continue to look at the positions on the Browns as we look back at what they did and look ahead to how the positions might look in the coming season. And today, it's an interesting one, defensive line. We spent some time on Miles Garrett and getting into what peak Miles Garrett looks like, what he could still do even better uh, as he goes into really what it should be the prime of his career. And then we get into the other pieces on the line and how the Browns might approach building around Miles Garrett. So that's coming up here on this Monday edition of the podcast. I always tell you about Football Insider. Get subscribed. Uh, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You get an exclusive newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. It's written by one of the members of our Browns reporting team. I wrote Saturdays. Uh, Mary Kay wrote Fridays. We all, we all just kind of rotate through and write those each day. And then also you can become one of our tech subscribers and you can get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash brown. So just head to that page, click the blue banner at the top to get all the info and get signed up. All right, here we go. Let's talk defensive line on a Monday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go, our Monday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We are talking defensive linemen. This is a very interesting group. A lot of questions along this line, but we're going to actually start with the one guy who's not really a question at all, and that is Miles Garrett. And one of the things we can certainly say about Miles Garrett is every year, he just seems to get better. Uh, whether it's incrementally, whatever it is, he seems to have a better season one year to the next. And this year, you know, certainly no exceptions when you look at the sack totals, the pressures, things like that. He certainly took a step forward in those areas. That being said, I'm curious what you guys think peak Miles Garrett looks like, because we are reaching that point where he's sort of where he's entering his prime. This is going to be prime Miles Garrett for like the next four to five years, assuming he stays healthy. Mary Kay, what does peak Miles Garrett look like? I'll tell you exactly what I think Pete Miles Garrett would look like, and that would include uh, him sustaining his level of success from the beginning to the end. And I know that's not easy because he plays at such a high level and he takes on a lot of double teams and he takes on triple teams. Uh, but it seems like each year for one reason or another, uh, he's either, you know, suspended or he's coming off of COVID um, or something like that happens. And then this year it was the groin injury and he tailed off at the end of the season and he started out really strong. And then I think in the last um he had like three sacks in the last seven games or something like that. So uh, that that's what I think would be the Miles Garrett that would really challenge for NFL defensive player of the year is to just to keep it going strong, stay healthy all throughout the entire season, and then also add in more takeaways and game changing plays like he started to do at the beginning of last season. Scott, he was on pace to win defensive player of the year, I thought, probably halfway through the season or at least very much in the discussion. Is, is yeah, this... I think. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, he had the Bears game, which was great. He had 
he had those moments that, and I wrote, I think I wrote about that early in the season. Like it takes more than just stats. You kind of have to have moments and like showing up in the grim reaper outfit was a moment. Yeah. It had nothing to do with football, but everybody was talking about miles Garrett and that, that counts in that kind of stuff when you're looking for votes, um, doing things in prime time or when you're the game of the week. And he, and he had some of that. Um, but I do agree with Mary Kay that, I think you kind of have to see a combination of last season and this past season. Um, you know, he had those strip sacks. He had that little run of them early on in 2020. And uh, you add in some of that this past season. I think he's, there's, there's a bigger conversation for him winning the award than, than you have here. So we got close to peak miles Garrett. I mean, grading wise and just numbers wise, he was, he was excellent. Um, but down the stretch, and maybe this comes with maybe playing more, more big games. I know every game was big for the Browns down the stretch, but you know, more games where, you know, they're going to the playoffs and it's kind of a marquee matchup kind of thing. And, and he's kind of showing up, uh, that's, that's maybe how you get over the hump. And we think of him maybe a little differently than, than we did after watching this past season. Yeah, I definitely agree with Scott's last point there. Like, it's kind of crazy to think about for how good Miles Garrett has been. Like, there haven't been a lot of these super high stakes moments that he's played in. But you also think about his career and, and between the suspension, between getting COVID, between getting injuries, like he really hasn't had a full year like in his prime yet where he's able to produce I mean I do still think if he is able to stay healthy that that sack record that single season league sack record would be on the table for him um, I agree that I think we need to see more of those those takeaway game-changing plays and, and Miles Garrett is somebody who himself when the Browns defense as a whole was having trouble with takeaways this year he was like they come in bunches they tend to be contagious so I think for him individually that's also true, but obviously when he when he made that play, you know, with the, the strip sack fumble for the touchdown uh, this year, he got the groin injury right around that same time. So, like, he was basically playing on one leg for those final games of the season when we saw him, and obviously I think that greatly impacted him, even though he was able to still continue playing. Obviously, when you see his numbers take kind of a hit, um, I think you can't discount that. So I do think it's all about him being healthy and staying on the field. And he had that great quote uh, this season where somebody asked him what comes after greatness because he made that comment and he's like, I want to be legendary. So that's kind of where his mind is at too that I think is also an interesting part of this. Aren't you guys uh, surprised that that we haven't seen more of those plays like the strip sack scoop score out of miles over these five years I mean I'm I'm shocked that that we haven't seen a ton more of those with his physical prowess with his speed with his athleticism it just seems like there's got to be more of those where that came from yeah I you know I, I think and that was part of the thing last year right when he went on that run and he was just it seemed like every week he was getting a strip sack it was like oh this is it. This is, this is Miles Garrett. Now this is that number one overall pick edge rusher, like going to that level. Um, and then of course, you know, he, he got COVID and, and it tailed off and we, and we didn't see that this year. And I do think that if there's a disappointment to this year, I think that's it that we only really saw that one really great, really big moment 
and it was in that second game against Baltimore. And it was huge at the time. The Browns were still in the, the divisional hunt, and that was really the difference in that game. But we, you're right. We didn't see enough of that, you know, single-handedly, I'm going to go make this play and get my team the ball back and whatever. We, we didn't see that consistently this year. And I wonder, <clears throat> real quick, just let me just add this real quick. I wonder if he, like, in a, in a moment of – uh, brutal honesty, if he would pin some of that on Joe Woods, because I think he was pretty hard on Joe Woods throughout the season. So I, w- I remember back when uh, he was doing sort of the same thing with Greg Williams, uh, and he didn't feel like Greg was always uh, helping him out in the best way, shape, or form. I wonder if uh, he has a little bit of something, something like that about how Joe does things. Some of it uh, could have something to do with where he was rushing from because in the beginning of 2020, he was getting a majority of his snaps against right tackles. Uh, and not all of his strip sacks came from that side, but um, the majority of his, his rushes did. And this year he was almost, uh, it was like over 80% of his rushes came against left tackle. So it was a different side. You're usually reaching further for the ball. You know, you're closer to the ball when you're, when you're on the other side. So uh, that could have something to do with it. I don't, I don't know if he complained about that as much, though. But Scott, remember um, last year when, you know, it would be third down and it was almost like he had an opportunity to if he wanted to move inside and uh, play over a guard and and take advantage of a mismatch. He was able to do that. So I'm wondering why he didn't do that as much this year and was almost exclusively rushing from that side. That'd be a good question to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder if, if part of it was you had Clowney on, on the other side this, this year. Um, you had a veteran in Malik Jackson inside. We're going to get to the tackles here in a little bit. You, you know, you had a more veteran guy in there. Was he going to tap him on the shoulder and be like, get out of here. I'm rushing from the inside. Maybe that, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. Um, the other thing too, and I feel bad. I feel, I mean, we're talking about one of the best pass rushers in football here. I think we should, we should make that clear. We're nitpicking a little bit here. You know, he doesn't, I, he doesn't get a lot of bat downs either. That's, that's the other thing. So I guess that kind of goes in the game changing play. Like I, that's, that's the next level for miles is to sort of either do what he was doing last year. It was just like, every time he gets near a quarterback, that ball's coming out. Or if that ball does come out on a pass, he's going to bat it down. You know, we see, TJ Watts really good at that. Um, so there's other guys who are really good at that. And part of that might just be his rushing style because he bends so much and he gets around the edge so fast. It's probably hard for him to, to do stuff like that, but I guess that's it, right? Peak miles Garrett is just going from being like a game record to an absolute monster of a game record. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think Joe Woods, um, you know, mentioned that towards the end of the season, it was just like, okay, he's so dominant and he's so good, but let's just see some more of that. You know, let's just have more miles. And that's basically, I think what we're saying, Dan, as you mentioned, I mean, he is one of the most fearsome, monstrous edge rushers mm-hmm. in the game of football. And we can all agree on that. But I, I, I think we can also all agree that he has another gear that he can get to. He's got another gear. And when you talk generational, and when you talk, um, you know, number one overall pick, and when you talk legendary, there's just another little level that you can get to. And, and I think he'll try to get there next season. And Ashley, real quick, one more thing. Just sort of, this was your kind of first year 
sitting there watching him in person, not every game, but the kind of when you got on the beat, watching him in person. And, you know, a big chunk of that was sort of after the groin injury. But I guess just what did you think kind of being around Miles and, you know, sort of the new person who kind of got to experience that for the first time, being around him and sort of watching him in person? I mean, for me, like, obviously, I grew up here, you know, watching the Browns and everything and was still kind of in tune to watching him play all these years he's been here, even though I haven't been covering them. But the difference for me was like being around him, the way he kind of talks and and the way he interacted with us and um, just the leadership role that he took on. I mean, I think that's such a big part of what he means to this team. Like it became a joke that on Fridays you kind of expected Miles Garrett to make news after a certain point, like after the midway point of the season. And I just think back to something like the bye week, for example, when we came back and everyone in that week had kind of been saying like, oh, the focus was really good and blah, blah, blah. And then Miles Garrett comes out on Friday and is like, nope, I didn't really, I wasn't really happy with our focus. It, there's still room for it to be a lot better going into this second game against the Ravens. And that to me is the stuff that really stands out. And honestly, it, it reminds me a lot of things we would hear from LeBron when he was here with the Cavs and just really not being afraid to say anything, not being afraid to say anything about coaches, other players, his own game. Um, And I just think that's really important to have that kind of strong leadership. Um, And you think about everything the Browns dealt with this year, um, who's to say for as much criticism as we can lay on them, you know, who's to say that it couldn't have been much worse if they didn't have a voice like that. So I think for me, that's just been eye-opening is seeing him in that regard and kind of hearing him talk and the way he carries himself, uh, coupled with everything he does on the field. Okay, next question here. Let's talk about the guy on the other side of Miles Garrett. Obviously, he's a free agent today, Jadavian Clowney. And there's two angles that, that I'm looking at this with. The first is, is this, is, is there a Jadavian Clowney model that the Browns are using? And we're going to talk about potentially signing Clowney to a longer contract. But what we've seen so far in that other edge is, you know, that Andrew Barry inherited Olivier Vernon, but he was on the last year of his contract. He brings in Jadavian Clowney on a one-year deal. They were looking at J.J. Watt, you know, in a similar capacity. Should we expect the Browns to maybe take that approach on that other edge more regularly where it's like, listen, we have a $125 million guy on the one side. We're not going to go pay Trey Hendrickson four years, 15 or 16 million a year, whatever he made, or Carl Lawson. You know, we're not going to pay another edge rusher that type of money. Is, is there sort of a Jadavian Clowney model developing here? Do you guys think this is going to be a trend? Well, I think um, that they kind of caught lightning in a bottle a little bit with Jadavian Clowney because he was, uh, it was very, it was later in the process, all of the top, pass rushers were signed to multi-year contracts for the most part. Uh, And they really didn't want to go that high on that side where, you know, guys were getting, you know, 15, 16, 17, $18 million a year in some cases. And they really did not want to do that. So they kind of got lucky, I would say, in terms of being able to, uh, to get a Jadavian Clowney coming off of a torn meniscus He had a down season. He didn't play the second half of last season and he needed to rebuild his career. I think it's going, I think it's going to be difficult to find a situation like that again, uh, because even now he's going to cost a pretty penny Uh, in order to re-sign Jadavian Clowney coming off of nine sacks. 
uh, you know, he, I'm seeing estimates of $15 million a year. So they're going to have to decide if they want to pay that in a year when we know for sure that they've got it, you know, they've got to add some wide receivers. Uh, they're starting, they're going to start to have to pay Denzel and, and see what happens with Baker. Um, so I don't know if they're going to want to pay a boatload of money, but uh, you know, maybe Jadavian does another one-year contract incentive laden uh, where they would be willing to shell that out for, uh, for one season, especially if it was fully guaranteed perhaps. Um, and then that gives him another opportunity to hit the market again. Uh, and he's at that point in his career where he wants to dictate where he plays, who he plays with, how happy is he going to be? Is he going to win a Super Bowl and those kind of things? Uh, but to, you know, to find a Trey Hendrickson or one of those kind of guys uh, on just a one-year contract, it's going to be too hard to find that. Uh, but I think they should make every effort to, to get Jadavian back here, even if they have to pay up a little bit. Yes, yeah, Scott, I guess where I'm going with this is like, are, are they going to take this approach to – maybe it's clowny this year. But like, you know, I, like, I don't know what the market's going to be for Chandler Jones, who's older, had a really good year. But is he going to get a, a five-year deal for $100 million? Or is he going to get a one-year deal for $12 million? You know, and is that sort of where the Browns might shop here? Unless they – something we'll get to a little later, unless they decide to address this in the draft. Yeah, this is one of those positions where I'm still trying to figure out what Andrew Barry thinks about it. Because obviously you put a lot of money into Miles Garrett, but edge rushers, like they don't have the impact on wins and losses that so many, like they're in the bottom four in that respect. Um, but you also have that Browns guardrails uh, uh, laminate that uh, kind of made the rounds a couple years ago after that Seth Wickersham uh, story that had uh, the, the priority positions, you know, and it was quarterback, cornerback, and then edge, you know, pass rushers. It was up there. So, you know, the Podesta's name's at the top of that thing. So, yeah, I'm not sure where you end up on that. I know that there are a lot of similarities between the season Vernon had uh, in, in 2020 and, and what Clowney did this past season. Um, but I do not see them shelling out big bucks. I do think you're, you're kind of playing with fire though. If you keep trying to do the one year thing, ideally you draft somebody and you groom them and they become that person who can be opposite miles Garrett for X number of years. Uh, but they're not there yet. They don't have that guy. Uh, on the roster right now. So they kind of have to keep looking. And I, I think it's probably more likely that, you know, Clowney prices himself out of what the Browns want to do. Yeah. I was going to say for me, it's all about money because right. Like we know we've talked about Jadavian Clowney on this podcast before recently about, he came at essentially half the price of some other edge guys that they were looking at last year. And he performed in a way that I don't think many people did. And obviously, even given his contract incentives, his sack incentives, like he maxed out at that. Um, and I don't, like I said, I, I myself was like, oh, well, the good thing about this when they signed him is it was kind of low risk because of the money and the fact that it was a one-year deal. And I, I just think that there's so much at play here. There's so many different options they can go, whether it's like you said, Dan, like re-signing him for another year and kind of see what happens that if he likes playing with Miles Garrett, they obviously play well together. And I know Miles, I think, talked about, and Jadavian have talked about that 
they bring out a certain competitiveness in one another. But if there's another guy like that out there and you need to prioritize some other things, um, and Clowney you know, himself said, it's not gonna necessarily only come down to money, but when you're getting up there in age and you just had a season like he had, that's obviously gonna be part of it because you do want to be recognized for that with some kind of monetary value, right? Um, so I do think it's tricky and I know we're going to talk about the draft stuff later, but I definitely think like, like Scott said, that's another viable option for them here. What does the perfect clowny contract look like? If the Browns resign him one year, would you go as high as 12? You know what I would do? I would go one year, um, 12 or 13 with, uh, these sack incentives again, that could get him up into that. Uh, $15 million range, which uh, some of it included, there was $500,000 bonus if they would have made the playoffs. And I'm sure there's also a Pro Bowl bonus. So I'd throw a bunch of those bonuses in and I maybe would go 12, 13 and uh, try to save a few pennies somewhere else because it helped Miles so much to have Jadavian over there too. So you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, I was going to say Miles has just been so vocal about liking playing with him. I do think it's worth trying to keep him and maybe up the price tag a little bit. And like like Mary Kay said, I mean, you look at his contract from this past year, there were incentives that were left on the table and not all of that was his fault necessarily. Like there was a pretty big one for making the postseason. So I do think there's some opportunity to reward him with slightly more money just with that base and then add on some money for those incentives. I mean, whatever the contract is, it's probably not one that lands on the roster along with Landry and Keenum. I, I think you say bye to both those guys if you if you do that. And twelve, I mean, one year, twelve million—that probably sounds good. I, then I think you you probably have serious talks about upgrading who's in the middle of that line to take advantage of all the pressures that those defensive ends create. The Browns were among the best in the league at like getting pressure with four people from the outside, like just from their edge rushers, but they just weren't getting it up the middle. So if you can bring those two guys back together um, and they were both doubled a lot, like miles was still one of the most doubled uh, edge rushers in the league, even with Clowney there. Um, But the fact that they had that success, if you can kind of replicate that and fix, fix the middle of the line, which I know we're going to get to um, then, uh, then I think you probably do it. And, and Dan, I don't know if you were planning on um, talking about TAC individually, but I think that uh, as long as we're on the edge rush situation, I think one of these sort of underrated, unfortunate situations is losing TAC McKinley to the ruptured Achilles. And that was, he was on a one-year deal to begin with. So now it's just a matter of, okay, what do you do with him once he gets healthy? Uh, do you keep him uh, you know, on your short list? and come back at it. Uh, but I think that that is, um, I think that was really unfortunate because I think they had a pretty nice thing going uh, and I believe they would have tried to resign him and extend him. So to, to run it back with Miles, Jadavi and, and Tack, uh, I, I think that would have been a really great thing for them. And now you're not really sure about Jadavian or Tack and you really have to, to move on and find a, maybe another new third edge rusher as well. Yeah, I, I keep going back to the week of the COVID outbreak in regards to TAC. Like we, we set, went through each position group and was like, what's the state of them going into this game, given who's out? And we spent so much time, to Mary Kay's point, talking about 
Tack was on the COVID list at that time. He eventually, obviously, he comes off it and got hurt in that game, unfortunately. But so much of our discussion about the defensive end room, when Clowney was still in, he hadn't been diagnosed with COVID yet. Tack was out, and we were like, the depth they lose there, the depth that he gives them is just so, so helpful in this defensive scheme. So without him there, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with Mary Kay that there would need to be some some attrition there somehow. Yeah, when the Browns, uh, this, is, this is sort of how I see Tech. When the Browns brought in Paul DePodesta, the question was like, oh, what, is, what does Moneyball look like in the NFL? And I feel like Tech is an example of that. Like, we're going to go find a really undervalued guy with a, a really nice skill set, and we're going to sign him, and we're going to put him in the perfect role, and he's going to thrive. Like, Tech was in the perfect role for himself. If he was your number two edge rusher, eh, it's a little iffy. You make him your third guy. Let him use that speed and those traits that you kind of fell in love with back in 2017. That's like, okay, this, this is a perfect spot for him, and it didn't cost a lot of money. Uh, we are going to talk about defensive tackle, Scott. You are correct. We're going to get there after the break. I do want to make one more clowny point, and it's something he might want to consider. It's no coincidence that he's had his best sack total seasons when he's been playing with J.J. Watt and with Miles Garrett. So we talk about how Clowney helps Garrett, but I also think it goes the other way. Clowney has certainly benefited – from pairing up with elite uh, edge defenders. So uh, maybe something he'll keep in mind as he hits free agency. All right, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we will talk about defensive tackles and we'll talk a little bit about the draft. I'm back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Let's get to the inside of the line. The question I have here, and we can take it wherever we want to, is do the Browns need to value this position more? The way they approached it this season is they didn't want to pay Sheldon Richardson the money he was making. He was making a lot of money. I understand that. So they go and they sign Malik Jackson. They take a flyer on Malik McDowell. You know, Jordan Elliott was a third round pick. Okay. Not a huge, huge investment. They didn't really do a lot. You know, they let Larry Ogunjobi walk. They didn't do a ton with that position. They kind of told us what they think of it. Did they value the position enough? I don't know if anyone has strong defensive tackle thoughts. Well, you know, let me just say that um, I do think that for them, it's not a premium position. And I think that they feel that, you know, they can kind of plug some bodies in there and, uh, and get done what they need to get done. And that they're going to invest more in their defensive ends. Uh, but they did draft Jordan Elliott fairly high. I mean, third round, you expect that guy to be either a starter or a contributor, uh, a key contributor. And then they drafted uh, Tommy Togiai out of Ohio State. So I think as they head into next season, that I, I think they are going to be looking at uh, Tommy and, uh, and Jordan Elliott as their two potential starters if they don't add other pieces there. And I think both of them have some good upside potential. I, I watched a whole lot of Tommy Togiai practice, you know, every single day very closely. And I, I think there's something to him that uh, I think they're going to be able to get uh, some nice uh, football out of him. So that to me looks like a pretty decent pick as of right now. Hard to say uh, for sure, but, they, you know, they, they could have hit on something there. So um, I don't know that they need to go out and spend a bunch of money on it. You got to pinch pennies somewhere. And this is one of those places that I feel like, uh, you know, they think that they can um, save a little bit of money. Having said that, I also think that they were hoping 
that Malik McDowell would turn into a little more for them than what he was able to show this year. That once they had him for, you know, another whole offseason and once they coached him up a little bit more and kept him within their program and had him studying and learning and working on his body and all those kinds of things that uh, that maybe he would take that step up, that 25% step up into his second season. And of course, now that's gone by the wayside. You know, he will not be back unless something absolutely unforeseen happens with, uh, with his legal situation and the, uh, the situation that happened with him. Uh, I just don't see him being back at all. Um, so, you know, they'll probably add some pieces, but they still have a few parts to work with. Yeah, I don't see them valuing it enough to throw big money at it in free agency at all. I think the past couple of years have shown that. Um, but I, I, obviously you want to draft somebody, you can groom into being somebody great. And then you have that option of paying them, you know, your Aaron Donalds or Cam Hayward or somebody like that, who like blossoms into somebody really good. And the Browns have not, they, they have, I went through the draft, like trying to find the last defensive tackle or interior defender that really played well. I, I don't know who that person is. I mean, Phil Taylor was here for a couple of years. Um, Danny Shelton, not that guy. Ogan Joby, you got a couple of decent years out of him. Um, you know, Jordan Elliott, not there yet. So I think it's going to be this. I think the interior is probably going to be more like that clowny model where you bring in a guy. I could see it rotating. Um, but again, like I said before about defensive end kind of being low on the impacting wins list, defensive interior is at the bottom of that. So I would kind of be surprised if the Browns make a big splash in free agency there. Yeah, I basically agree with everything that's been said. I mean, they just have showed nothing that they really value this position that highly to go out and and spend a bunch of money on it. And like, you know, I think Mary Kay was the one that mentioned on this podcast, like they're going to have to worry about extending Denzel pretty soon, paying him some big money. Like there's just going, there's just not going to be enough money to go around, I think at the end of the day. So, you know, I think you look at like what they did with the guy like Malik Jackson, for example, they bring him in despite knowing, you know, some of these injuries are an issue, but he's somebody who has a familiarity with Joe Woods and like, what can he give us in, in that way? Um, and try to get some value there because you can't just be going and spending all the money in the world on all of these positions. There's just no way. Yeah. It feels like one of those positions where like, unless you can get a, a guy, like we're, we're not even going to mention Aaron Donald, but like, you know, Chris Jones, I'm, I'm looking at the top graded guys this year, Chris Jones, Kenny Clark, uh, Scott, you mentioned Cam Hayward. You know, we've seen Calais Campbell even, you know, at the advanced age, he's at the impact he can have. Unless you can get like that sort of guy, it's probably not worth a huge investment in, in the position. I mean, okay. they, they had Sheldon Richardson. Um, and, and I think that he did a nice job in there and he filled that role and they wanted him back, but again, not at the money he, that, that he wanted and, you know, they wanted to cut that pay and then it became a little bit of a, um, a pride thing. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to cut my pay that much, I'm going to go play for the Vikings instead. Um, but that was kind of unfortunate because I felt like, uh, he was sort of filling that role, uh, really well. He's the kind of guy that you want there, but once again, it's got to match up with the money and, and he, he got too expensive. 
Before we get to the draft, does anyone want to plant their flag on the bring Emmanuel, ba- Emmanuel Agba home? Mountain. Where's Doug for this podcast? <laughs> I would love to see his reaction to this. <laughs> By the way, I mean, credit to Agba. He's been, he has turned himself into a really, really good player. And, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted, he wanted out. The Browns traded him to Kansas City. He dealt with injuries, ended up in Miami. He's had two really good years. So mm-hmm. credit to I him. I did. I think I did a story before the year about how everybody who's played opposite Miles Garrett had a better year or a better career either before or after they played with him. Uh, and by the way, uh, Clowney, his best seasons in Texas were when Watt was injured. I'm pretty that's actually, sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about uh, that. I wrote about that before the season. So it was good that he, I guess, had a good season next to a guy who was healthy and didn't need to. Um, well, I don't know if it's better or worse if he, if he did it without, without the guy opposite him. But it was definitely different. And if you bring Agua back, um, he's clearly a different player at this point and maybe he's that guy maybe he's that guy who's here for a year and but you're going to pay him more than you would have prior to last season that's for sure well if you're going to bring him back why don't you just go get larry too and bring them both back is, is, is nasa a free agent there <laughs> we go a reunion together <laughs> well miles is still mad at him for taking away that one strip sack to a score that he, he, he brought it up after that baltimore game actually that was yeah. good. That's get Joe Hayden back in the secondary and <laughs> Joe Schobert. Kirksey. What's yeah. Brianne Body Calhoun up to? <laughs> get those 2016 guys some success, you know? <laughs> yeah. Jordan. All right. I'm I'm not gonna pretend I have a bunch of names to attach to this. Uh, like I said the other day, I've watched YouTube highlights of wide receivers in the draft. So I don't have a bunch of like edge rushing names to necessarily attach to the number 13 pick. I know the top two guys. Uh, they will not be there at number 13, of course. But, uh, Ashley, you, I know you have somebody in Michigan um, yeah. that you, you think could sort of be a developmental guy. Um, there was a mock draft that gave an edge rusher to the Browns as well. There are guys out there. So we'll start with you, Ashley. If the Browns go edge rusher at 13, your reaction is blank. I would, I guess, like quiet disappointment, maybe. <laughs> like, I have a guy who I do like, and it's David Ojabo out of Michigan. But I just really, if they still hold on to that 13 pick, and obviously, like Mary Kay has been kind of pounding the drum for it, a lot of things could happen that there are situations where they maybe don't have that number 13 pick anymore. But if they do, I just really think they need a young receiver that they can develop. Um, what I will say about David Ojabo, what I like about him is we saw him take a huge dump jump this year under Mike McDonald, who is now going to obviously be the Ravens defensive coordinator. He's going back to Baltimore. Um, and the interesting thing about him for me is he really hasn't been playing football that long. He just started playing football, I think like later in high school. So his upside for me is just so strong and seeing what he did, seeing the way he performed against in big games, like against Ohio state against Penn state this year and playing alongside Aiden Hutchinson, who obviously is going to be like probably the number two pick in the draft. Um, I just think there's so much upside with him that I wouldn't be totally disappointed if they went this route. There are a few other guys too, as well, but I still am just like, if you have that 13 pick, I think you need a receiver given everything else we've talked about. Scott, I think you had a pretty strong reaction the other day when I brought up Ed Rusher at 13. 
Yeah, I did. I don't know. Maybe I rethought that. I think, look, if, if you're going into that 13th pick, you want somebody who can come in and compete for a starting job. That's the goal with that pick and wide receiver and edge rusher are two positions that are near the top. Like those are really good places for a rookie to come in and have that opportunity uh, on this team. If, if things happen this offseason that we're kind of expecting, you know, if they, if they remake that wide receiver room, if um, tech McKinley's not in the picture, uh, no matter who they, you know, what they do free agency wise, at edge rusher, I think those are two positions that could potentially help them from day one. So I still think they should go receiver, but maybe I'm not as against edge rusher at 13 as I might've been the other day. Okay. What about you? You know, I, I would be fine with it. I'm not um, super big on, you know, you have to take a certain position at a certain place in the draft because there are so many other ways to accomplish your goals. You can trade for someone, you can buy someone in free agency. Uh, so we all know, we, we all know that they need two really, really good receivers somehow, some way, but there are so many different ways to attack it. So, um, so I wouldn't be opposed to an edge rusher there. If the best edge rusher in the draft falls to you at number 13 and he's the best player on your board, uh, I'm, I'm pretty big on being true to your board like that. So if it falls that way, I would much rather take the better player than a position of need. Uh, so that that's just my own philosophy. I've seen too many teams, even Browns teams over the years, try to uh, reach for somebody just because they need to fill a hole. And I don't think it works like that. Um, in a perfect world, I, I think they should sign Clowney and try to find another as uh, as Quasi said yesterday, Andrew has the philosophy of leaving no stone unturned. And that's why you end up with guys like Tack and Malik McDowell. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but they look under those stones for players like that. Uh, so I, I would rather try to find a diamond in the rough somewhere out there that you can uh, fill that hole with and then go with a really premium marquee position uh, or a really premium marquee player at number 13 overall, whoever that might be. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. And, and I think this is a front office that is going to lean towards best player available, you know, over and over again. That, and I always think it's interesting to sort of like the NFL is behind the NBA in a lot of areas. And I think this is one of them, like, you know, here in Cleveland, we have a great example of this, you know, right. Ashley, you're covering the Cavs a lot now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's literally been their whole they, MO. this, this right. front offices. I mean, they, they drafted Colin Sexton one year and then drafted Darius Garland the next, and then trade for Jared Allen last year and draft Evan Mobley this year. There, there is something to that in the NBA. And obviously they're not, they're not totally 100%, I think parallel leagues, but no. There is something to it. And I mean, like we've talked about with Andrew Barry, you maybe should expect the unexpected. And we obviously have a pretty small sample size with him drafting, but trading up to get a linebacker in the second round. I mean, I don't know that um, many people would have predicted that necessarily this time last year. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, Andrew Barry is kind of one of those new school GMs that sort of watches how things are done in the NBA and has brought, I mean, he worked under Sasha Brown. That Brock Osweiler trade was an NBA trade. You know, we're going to take a salary and you're going to give us a draft pick. You know, that that's sort of, those sorts of things are starting to leak over to the NFL a little bit. And the Andrew Barry, I think, is right 
kind of in the center of that. But you're right. I mean, it is a very different league, very different structures, um, very different team building. Have, having 53 guys and 22 guys on the field is a lot different than having five guys on, on the court. But, um, you know, that, that's sort of the philosophy I think they'll have. I'm all for it. If they want an edge rusher at 13 that can be their guy for the next five years next to Miles Garrett and they get a good receiver in the second round, I'd be perfectly fine with that. I think there's a lot of different ways, like you were saying, Mary Kay, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach these positions, to approach that receiver position specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whoever they take, just keep in mind, it's for the future. Like if yeah. you're a fan and they take an edge rusher and you don't let, just remember, it's, it's not to win this year, it's, it's for the future. Okay, I think we hit everything on edge rusher. Did I forget anyone? Mary Kay, I'm glad you brought up Tack because I did not have him on my list and we needed to talk about him. So is there anybody else I forgot? Are we good here with, uh, with edge rushing? Looks like it. Okay, we're going to keep uh, reviewing positions here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast this week. Mary Kay is off to Mobile in the Senior Bowl, so you're going to get to hear some updates from Mary Kay as well about the happenings down in Alabama as she gets her eyes on some of these draft prospects, including – some wide receivers, some edge rushers, and yes, of course, some quarterbacks. I think we'll probably talk about some of those guys a little bit too. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber to Cleveland.com slash Browns and blue banner at the top of the page. Mary Kay, Scott, and Ashley, I will talk to you all later. <laughs>